Well, thank you for joining us today. My name is Jared Curry. I'm the pastor of Renewal Church, and I'm glad that you're here. We're starting a brand new series called Our Place in Our World. And this world can be a big place, a diverse place, and it can be sort of confusing when you're trying to find your place in it. And so people have developed a couple of strategies to try to find where they fit, where you fit in this world. And the first one is that you can copy everybody around you. And so you look around at what everybody else is doing and you say, okay, I don't want to... I don't want to stick out, don't want to be a weirdo, so I'm going to just do what everybody else does. You can copy everybody else. But there's another, there's another way of finding your place in the world, and that's what we're exploring in this series. Listen to how the Bible talks about this. In Romans 12, 2, it says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. Instead, let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. So you have a choice when it comes to finding your place in this world. You can copy the behavior and customs of everyone around you, or you can be transformed and let God change the way that you think. Now, I don't know if you've noticed this, but when you look at the people who are around you, you look at your friends, your neighbors, your coworkers, maybe if you're like me, you can look at your own family and say, I'm not sure I want to copy that. It seems, I mean, I mean, you think about it, it's like people are um, drowning in debt with their finances. Why would you want to copy that? People have a complete lack of meaning and purpose, and they don't know why they're here. There's no, there's no plan for their life. Why would you want to, why would you want to copy that? You see broken relationships and trails of tears and regret everywhere you go. I just personally, I don't know, maybe, maybe you're different than me. I don't want to copy that. I would much rather find my place in this world by letting God transform my life and change the way that I think about things. And so that's what we're doing over this week and then the, next, the following three weeks. We're talking about uh, next week is unity in a divided world. We're talking about serving in a selfish world, sharing your faith in an enlightened world. But today... It's about loving in a confused world. Loving in a confused world. And to start off thinking about love and loving in a confused world, we have to start with an important question. What is love? Did any of you just hear um, Night at the Roxbury in your head? You did. You did, shame on you, this is church. Be thinking holy thoughts, people. What is love? This is such an important question, oh my goodness. Because if you don't know the answer to what is love, you're gonna struggle in this, in this world. If you don't know what love is, it's gonna be hard for you to stay married. If you don't know what love is, then you'll confuse lust with love and you'll, you, you'll marry the wrong person. If you don't know what love is, it will be difficult for you to sustain friendships for a long period of time, for a lifetime. If you don't know what love is, you'll end up with broken relationships and regret because you'll, you'll, you'll accept cheap substitutes for love, like pills or pornography. If you don't know what love is, you can be in relationships with people and still be lonely and broken and full of regret because you think it's love, but you're confused about it. That might be the most important question that you ask as you go through life is, is am I giving love, am I receiving love? If Do I know what love is when I see it? 
And on top of all this other, on top of all the just incredibly practical, can I make it through life well questions, if you don't have love, your life will be meaningless. According to the Bible, there are three things that last forever. Faith, hope, and love. This is what 1 Corinthians 13, 13 says. Three things last forever, faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love. Love lasts forever, which means that if you love, your life can have an eternal impact. But if you're confused about what love is and you're not, you're not engaged in love, giving and receiving true love, then the, the things that you're engaged in in your life, they won't last. They won't last. And you'll be wasting your life. So you have to know what love is. And so today, that's what we're, we're doing. We're trying to clear up the confusion on love because our culture is confused. And when you think about our society and how we talk about love and how we give love and receive love, there is no doubt that our society is confused about love. We tend to think of it as a, an emotion, something, we tend to think of it like a hole, something you fall into, or a ski lift, something you fall out of. I mean, it's just like, it, it, it seems totally accidental, something you, you can't help. We use the word love haphazardly. We, we talk about things that are not equivalent. You can say, I love my mom and I love pizza. And it's just not the same thing. In fact, we use love in so many different ways. You know, it's like, what is the four letter word in the English language that has the most uses? I would suggest that it's love. Don't know what you were thinking. Again, that's, this is church. So we've got to get clear on what love is. And I, I want to look, I, I, I don't know about you, but again, I don't want to copy what this world says. I want to know what God says about what love is. And I want to aim my life at that. And so that, that's what we're looking at today. And so for our time today, we're going to look at, the, there were four kinds of love in the Greek world, and we're going to work through that. And then we're going we're gonna to get very practical and, and talk about four ways that you can live out um, love in your life. You can love like God loves. But first, we need to talk about love in the Greek world. Now, um, let's do a show of hands. How many of you speak a language other than English? Okay. Now, I shouldn't have put my hand up. I, 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 was, I, was, I was born in America, and I took like infinity years of Spanish, and I still only speak English, um, despite my high school Spanish teacher's best intentions. But those of you who speak another language, you have a superpower. Because not only can you communicate with other people, um, you have access to a whole other world of thought, don't you? And you know that there are some words and concepts in your, in your heart language that you just can't quite express the right way in English. And love is one of those things that in English we have one word for it, but in the Greek language there's four words for love. And most of the New Testament, the, the stories about Jesus and the letters to the earliest church were written in Greek. And here's the four words that they had for love. Number one, now this is in your message notes, so I want you to take out your message notes right now. I want you to write this down today. Number one, eros is love because of what it desires. Eros is love because of what it desires. This word is not found in the Bible, but the concept is not absent from the Bible. There's a book in the, in the Old Testament, the Jewish scriptures called Song of Songs. It's all about eros love although the word is never used. Another English word for Eros love might be passion. When Ed Sheeran sings, I'm in love with your body, that's Eros love. He's definitely talking about Eros. It's Romeo and Juliet love. This is the kind of love you, you fall into. 
This is, it sparks romance. It leads to the first date. And this is part of God's good gift to people. You know why God gave us Eros love? So we could keep the species going, man. That's what God gave it to us as a gift. But if you think it's the only thing love is, your view of love is too shallow. Eros love will not sustain you through hard times. It's not gonna sustain you um, for worse, in sickness, for poorer. So Eros love is love because of what it desires. But the second kind of love is this. Storge is love because of how you are related. This is family love. It's found between parents and their kids, between husbands and wives in good marriages, between siblings. You ever have a a sibling that you're like, man, I do not like them right now, but I love them. That's storge love. That's that that you like, you're in it because you're related. Now, this word is used in in the Bible in the New Testament. Romans 12, 10 says, uh, it's speaking to the church. It says, love one another with brotherly affection. So there's something about being a part of a church that means you're, re- you're in a relationship with these other people, and it's sort, of like, um, it's sort of like a big, dysfunctional, extended family reunion every Sunday, and we all have the same father. And because we're related to each other, we're supposed to have this kind of love for each other. And when you hear people say blood is thicker than water, they're talking about storge love. And it is applied to the church, but that's only the second of four kinds. So here's the, fourth ki- the third kind of love. Let's not skip. Phileo is love because of how you feel. When you're affectionate towards someone or something. This is the love between friends. This is the love you have for your dog. This is when you, you know, we said, uh, I, I, don't, I don't like you, but I, I, I love you. When you actually like someone, <laughs> that's phileo love. There's this, there's this really incredible passage in the New Testament where Jesus had a very, very close friend named Lazarus who wasn't one of his 12 disciples. He was just a great friend. And there's this tragic story that unfolds and Lazarus passes away and then Jesus receives the news. And here's the reaction of Jesus to the news of Lazarus's death. In John 11:35 35 through 36, it says, Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. And it's that word, phileo. They were close friends. They actually liked each other and enjoyed being in each other's presence. There's a kind of love that that happens just between friends. That's phileo. But there's a fourth kind of love too. And this this fourth kind of love is is the kind that is overwhelmingly talked about in the Bible. It's overwhelmingly used to describe God, to describe the way that we're supposed to interact with other people, both people that are in the church, people that are in society, people that you love, people you don't know, this kind of love is agape. And agape is love because you choose to love. Agape is love because you choose to love. If phileo is love because of how you feel, agape is love because you're choosing to love regardless of how you feel. You can agape your enemies, but you cannot phileo your enemies. And this is so different than that eros kind of love that feels like sometimes you have no control over it at all. You feel like you're just falling into it. This is about making a choice to treat someone in a loving way, regardless of how you feel. And this is the kind of love that's overwhelmingly talked about in the Bible. This is the kind of love used to describe God. This is the kind of love that Christians are called to live out with their lives. This is the kind of love that keeps promises no matter how hard it gets. 
This is the kind of love that keeps loving even when, when they don't feel like loving. You might call it steadfast. This is the kind of love that chooses to be loving even when there's nothing in return, when you get nothing out of it. I mean, you know, let's, let's be real here for a second. It's a lot easier to love somebody who loves you well, right? But this is the kind of love that loves with no strings attached. Some people call it unconditional love. And think about that for a minute. Unconditional, no conditions, no strings attached. Let me share with you one uh, passage from the Bible, 1 John 4, 7 through 9, that is all about this love. And, and, I'm, and you're gonna see it on the screen. And every time the word love is used in this passage, it is the word agape in Greek. Okay, so let me share with you what it says. And I want you to see how, how broad it is. It's about God, it's about us, it's about us and God, it's about us and other people. Here it is, it's all about agape love. It says, beloved, let us love one another for love is from God and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. Isn't that incredible? Now, I didn't grow up in a Christian home, but I did live eight years of my life in the Bible Belt, and so whenever I hear that phrase, God is love, I just hear it with Billy Graham's accent in the back of my mind. God is love. It's such a beautiful thing to think that God isn't just loving towards you, God is is love. I want you to circle that or underline that in your notes. That is, that is a foundational thought, that God is love. It is intrinsic to his nature. And according to this short passage from 1 John, we see how God loves us unconditionally. And it's by sending his son into the world to die in our place and forgive us of our sins. He doesn't give us what we deserve. He gives us what he has promised. He loves us with no strings attached. And in the same breath that we're told how God loves us, we're called to love like God loves. So if this is God's love towards us, this is also how we're called to reflect it to the world. And, and, and the, the rest of our time today is unpacking four ways that, that I can live out agape love, that, that we can live out agape love in our lives. And, and as we do this, we're gonna look at what the Bible says about how to love because I, I think in our society, in our culture, we, we're, most people are fine with love being undefined. But I, I've discovered in my life that love can actually be very complicated. In healthy relationships, love is easy. <laughs> You know, when things are great at home, love is, you know, a bouquet of flowers and some time and attention. But in my extended family, um, one of my extended family members is an addict. And I've discovered love gets really complicated. Like you, you don't always know the right thing to do. You don't always know the loving thing to do. When do, you, when do you push? When do you hold off? When do you, like, love can be difficult. So I want us to look, I don't want us to just copy the world. I want us to look at the wisdom of God's word to learn how we love like God loves, how we live out agape love, 
all right? So four things, here's the first one. I live out agape love when I dedicate my mind, body, and soul to God. Mark 12, 30, uh, Jesus teaching, he says, you shall love, that's agape, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. And so we could pick out what each part of that means, but what is Jesus saying? With everything, right? To love God is to dedicate your entire life to him. God is not... um, like a hobby that you add on to your life. It's not, God is not an elective course that you take to try to, you know, enrich your life a little bit. To love God is to have a Copernican revolution in your soul where everything reorients around the sun. To dedicate your whole life to him where everything revolves around God. And if you, if you grew up in church and you know the stories and that just, to some people that just makes sense. But there's others of you who are here in church today, and, and maybe you didn't grow up in church, or you just don't feel that way towards God yet. And so you're, you know, you're investigating Christianity, but your emotional life isn't as deeply engaged. And so you, the question is, how do I get to that place where I could love God like that? Well, let me ask you a question. When is the easiest time to say, I love you to someone? It's when they say it first, isn't it? They say, I love you. You say, I love you too. Several years ago in my family, no one in my family ever said, I love you. That was way too mushy for my family. And I I just decided, I'm going to change this. And so at the end of every phone call with my family, no matter how awkward it was, I would just say, hey, I love you. And it was so awkward because they were like, "Uh, uh, uh, I love you too, bye. You know, it's just, But, but you know what? In, within like three months, everyone in my family would say, I love you, and I love you too. And they would say it to each other when I wasn't on the phone. It's just contagious. When someone loves you, that's how you can say, I love you too. Well, I want you to know that, that when it comes to loving God, he is not waiting for you to make the first move. God has demonstrated and declared his love for you. You know, when Jesus died on the cross, they actually put a sign up above his head, they, they nailed to the cross above his head. And it said in Greek, Jesus Nazarenus Rex Judeorum, which, which means Jesus Christ, King of the Jews. But you know how that sign could have been translated? I love you. The cross is where God said, I love you to every person he ever made. The cross is where God declared, I want to know you. I want to have a relationship with you. I'm willing to go to any length to get my kids back. I'm willing to to take anything on. I'm willing to pay any cost. I'm willing to bear any sacrifice to know you, to love you. The cross is where God said, I love you. And so to dedicate all of your life to him is how you say, I love you too. Now, here's how that actually works, because, you know, what does that mean? How do, you, how do you dedicate everything to him? Well, think about a dedication for a second. You just take the very first part of something, and that's how you dedicate the whole thing. Think about a book. The very first sentence in the whole book, I dedicate this book to, you know, to my wife or to my kids, and then the whole book is dedicated 
One of my favorite live recordings of all time, Landslide, Stevie Nicks is singing. And when she starts, some of you know the track. She says, this is for you, Daddy. And then the whole song is for her dad. You dedicate your life to God by giving the first part of it to him. So how do you dedicate your time to God? You take the very first part of your day, the very first part of your time, you open up the Bible, you say, you know what, I'm going to read at least one verse out of this book, and I'm going to pray. And you give the first part of your time to him, and it dedicates all of your time to him. You dedicate the first part of your finances to him by saying, all of your finances, by giving the very first part. I'm going to give first, save second, live on the rest. Give, save, live. Give, save, live. And when I do that, my whole finances will be dedicated to God. You can dedicate your, your body to him. I mean, we have, we're starting, uh, we have people who come here and set up and tear down the church. We're trying to grow that setup team right now. And you could say, I'm going to give Sunday morning, the very first part of the very first day of my week, I'm going to work with my body for God. You can decide to live with purity in your relationships to dedicate your body to God. You can dedicate your mind to God by reading a Christian book. You can dedicate your relationships to him by joining a community group and saying, I'm going to set aside a part and portion of my relational life to invest it with people who are going to help me go further faster in my faith journey with God by joining a community group. So you dedicate every part of your life to God, your whole life, and it's saying, I love you too, to God. The second way You say, I live out agape love when I obey God's commandments. Now, that's one of those things that it just comes right out of the Bible because if I was was making things up and I was saying, like, well, what does it mean to love? I'm not sure I would have said obey my commandments. And, and, And I hope that if you say to my wife, hey, what does it mean to love Jared? She's not like, well, I obey his commandments. Like, that's a whole different kind of church, right? Uh, that's, uh, that's weird. But listen to these words of Jesus. I, they, they, they sound strange to our ears. And I'm going to try to, I'm, I'm gonna try to unpack them and explain them today so that they make sense. Okay, listen to what Jesus says. And this is our memory verse for today, John 14, 21. Jesus says, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. So Jesus directly ties Keeping his commandments with loving him. What is, what is going on there? Well, have you ever noticed that when you're in different relationships with different people, love looks very different? Right? When, you, um, when you're in a romantic relationship, you know, you know what love looks like in a romantic relationship. It means time. It means attention. It means gifts. It means special things and ingenuity. But that's not what love looks like in a friendship, Right? In a friendship, love might mean being there when you need to be there. Love might mean remembering a few important dates. I, I, I've got a friend, I, I keep it marked on my, a close friend from years and years ago, I keep it marked on my calendar when his mom passed away. Right? So loving a friend might, might look different. Okay? I, I, when, I, when I love my kids, I've, I've got three little ones, I never obey their commandments. <laughs> Although they can be, it's like having little dictators in the house. Okay. But when you were little, loving your parents meant obeying them. And it, that was part of it. It wasn't all of it, but that was part of it, right? And you obeyed your parents because uh, every time you obey them, 
you are saying, I know that you love me and care about me. I, I understand that you know more than me, that you're wiser than me, that you're stronger than me, and that you care more about me than I could even care about myself. All of that is wrapped up every time you say yes, sir, or yes, ma'am, to your mom or dad. That's how it is with God. Loving him means obeying his commandments. And for some of you, you, you understand that reasoning, but it's difficult for you. And, and maybe it's because you went to a church that was 100% about the rules. Or maybe you grew up in a home where it was just all about the rules all the time. And so there's just something kind of gross in your soul about, and it feels like you have to do, follow these rules and that's how God knows if people love him, but that, that's just not how he operates. He doesn't come up with a list of arbitrary rules and say, hey, if you follow, I'm gonna come up with these crazy rules and then if they follow them, then I'll know who loves me. No, God, God gives us his commandments to keep us safe. God gives us his commandments because they lead to life. God gives us his commandments because he can see the consequences of our actions better than we can. And so when we follow and obey, when we trust and obey, we find life. Listen to this, this um, one sentence from the book of 1 John. It says, for this is the love of God that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. And so I want to say something maybe that's kind of challenging to you. If you find his commandments burdensome, you might be doing it wrong. Now, I'm, I'm not saying that the Christian life is always easy, that it's easy or simple or fun to obey God. But, I mean, in the, when you find commandments burdensome, that's the, that's the attitude of a rebellious teenager rather than a mature adult. I mean, I want to be careful in this, but I, I, I don't know that I've found a commandment burdensome in years. When, when God said, I did when I was younger, but I, I don't now. When God says, thou shalt not commit adultery, I'm not like, oh man, I was so looking for it. Like, no, it's to me, that's life, that's safety, that's protection, that, that helps give me the life that I've always wanted and I've always dreamed of because I dreamed of having this healthy family where I actually liked my wife and she liked me and we spent time together because that was a little different than what I was used to and we had kids and they wanted to be in our home and like and all of that is wrapped up in thou shalt not commit adultery right it's not burdensome it's not burdensome it's a joy it produces life so to do this tangibly in your life I think you need to know what's in the bible and so I think it's helpful to read the bible (laughs) the um amen is right the like and so this is a little bit nitpicky from your pastor, but the, in the Bible app, um, there are reading plans in the Bible app, and they can be good if you need help or you need guidance, but if you're always using a reading plan and you're never engaging directly with the Bible, I, I, I just, I don't know that that's healthy forever. Is that fair? That I think there comes a point in your, in, your, in your Christian walk, in your faith, where you need to just engage directly with the Bible, and that as you go through, one of the important questions to ask, you say, God, is there a commandment for me to obey? Is there a command for me to obey in this word today? Just one of those things you ask yourself every time you read the Bible. So you obey God's commandments, and that's part of living out love for God. So the first one was that you dedicate your mind, body, and soul to him. That's the first way that I live out agape love. The second is I obey his commandments. Here's the third way that I live out agape love. I commit myself to God's church. 
Write that down. If you're willing to die for someone, is it safe to say that you love them? Yeah. Jesus died for you and me. He died for his church. So it is safe to say that Jesus loves his church. And Jesus tells us that we're supposed to love what he loves and what he died for. John 13, 35. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples. If you put a Christian bumper sticker on your car. (laughs) Come on, that's silly. If you have love for one another. What mark, like, like, so the whole world, think about this, the whole world is supposed to look at uh, this community of people and they will, the world will know that Jesus is this divine son of God by what? By the love that we have for each other. That, that our choosing to love one another, because that's agape love, right? that we choose to love one another in such radical ways that people say, man, there is something about Jesus that has changed the community. That shows the world who Jesus is, our love for one another. So in our society, we don't tend to live very communally. Heather and I heard from a man yesterday um, from Nigeria. He was sharing a little bit about his life and culture and what was important to him. And he said, the most important thing for us is community. And we live in community, we discipline each other's children, and then you bring your children back and then their parents discipline them too. I mean, it was just, it's just all community all the time. And Americans live in a very individualistic society. And so this is a challenge for us from the word of God, to love each other well. And so you've got to, def- if you're gonna love in the way that Jesus calls you to love, you've got to define who you're gonna love. And what's going to keep you together when it gets hard? What's going to keep you invested in loving instead of leaving? Because when things get hard, the easiest thing to do is not love. The easiest thing to do is leave. What's going to keep you invested? One of the most surprising things for me about marriage was just how difficult it is. Um, I think I've been married for 13 years now. Is that right? 13. And um, I got it engraved on the inside of my ring just in case I forget. 13 years, but the first year was really hard, was really hard. And I discovered that those vows that you make when you first get married, that commitment, it's not for better, it's not in health, it's not for richer, that's not why you need a commitment. (laughs) You need the commitment in sickness, you need the commitment for worse, you definitely need the commitment for poorer, that's why you need the commitment. And that's what has stuck me and Heather together through the difficult times so that we could fight to love each other well so we could get through it to better times. That's, that, that's how the commitment helps you to love. Now, for many of us, that kind of commitment needs to come through the local church. And it needs to come through church membership. Church membership is where we, decide, we say, I'm going to stay and I'm gonna love through the hard things which is very countercultural in a consumeristic society. Now, many people would say, I like, um, I like the church. I, you know, I like Jesus. I'm just not a fan of the church. And I get it. We're broken people. Like, I get it. Or people would say, um, I like Jesus. I just don't, don't want to be a, a fan of organized religion. And we always say, we're not particularly organized, so this is your place. <laughs> but Jesus described the church as his body, 
And he also described the church as his bride. And like, what if I said to you, man, I, I love you. I'm just not a fan of your body. I can't be friends with anybody who says, hey, Jared, I really like you. I just can't stand your wife. Can't be friends. Right? To love Jesus means to love the things that he loved. And church membership is how we say, I am in. But most people never commit to a local church. Most people attend while it, while it suits them or while it, while it meets their needs. But your commitments shape your soul over time. There, there's a thought worth unpacking. Your commitments shape your soul. And if you always remain uncommitted, the chances are very high that you will remain selfish. You can't, stay, you can't say you're committed to Jesus and not be committed to his church. So let me ask you, do you make attending uh, Sunday services a priority or do you come when it's convenient? Are you involved in serving others here at Renewal or are you here to be served by other people? In other words, do you come to get something or to give something? Are you planning on being in a community group this spring? I mean, I think you heard sign-ups start today for community groups. The sign-up's different. You actually sign up just by writing the number of the group on the, community, on, on the connection card, and you were signed up. In fact, if you would, go ahead and take this out for a second. Because you can sign up for a community group today, but another way that you can commit to the church is by exploring what it means to be a member of Renewal Church. And on here, on the back, it says, uh, my next step today is to sign up for Discover Renewal on 3319. And you check that box, and you can come to the class and learn what it means to belong to a church, to say, I'm going to stay and love through the hard things. Or you can sign up for a community group. We mentioned set up and tear down earlier. That box is on there as well, under send me info about serving. But I, I, you know, I do believe everyone has a next step to take. And when you love God's church, you love God. Just like if you love my wife, you're loving me. And if you love my kids, you love me. So that's how we live out agape love. But there's one last way that we're sharing that you live out agape love. I live out agape love when I seek to bless my enemies. When I seek to bless my enemies. This is the hardest step in loving like God loves. Loving your enemies. But that is exactly what Jesus tells us to do. Matthew 5, in Jesus' most famous sermon, his Sermon on the Mount, here's what he says. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. You see how countercultural Jesus is being here? He's saying, you've heard it said, like this is how the world does it. You can copy the world. But I say to you, you can have your, your thinking transformed by God. He says, but I say to you, love your enemies. What does this mean? Well, um, the famous Russian author Dostoevsky has a quote. He says, to love someone is to see him as God intended him. And so blessing your enemies is seeing the best in them. It's wanting the best for them. It doesn't mean you have to like them. It doesn't mean you have to be friends with people who hate you. But it does mean you have to seek their ultimate good that you want God's best for them, that you see them as God intended them. And Jesus goes on to get really practical about this. And he says it starts with prayer, that we pray for those you disagree with. You pray for those who perse persecute you. You pray for those you can't stand. You pray for those who are your rivals at work. You pray for family members who are frenemies. You pray, you pray for everybody. 
And this love of enemies is not something God would ask us to do that he didn't do himself. This is the love he modeled for us. The Bible says that while we, were, we all start out as enemies of God because we're separated from God by our sin. We don't want God to be God. We want me to be God. And I don't want him telling me how to live my life. I tell me how to live my life. Sin is a rejection of God. We say, I'm my own God, and I'm going to do things my own way. But God did not wait for you to become his friend to love you. He's been pursuing you before you ever wanted anything to do with him. That's what Romans 5 says, 5.8. But God showed his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God's, God's love for us and God's love for you meant that um, he was willing to go to incredible lengths to sacrifice for you when you didn't know him, you didn't care about him, you didn't want anything to do with him. Still, he was seeking you and he was pursuing you. And that love was costly. It required a sacrifice. That's the heart of agape love. You know, when you stay up late at night with sick kids, that's agape love. When you give generously to help the poor, people you know who can never repay, that's agape love. When you help a friend through a painful breakup, that's agape. When you serve your spouse regardless of how they treat you, that's agape. When you build social bridges with awkward people, that's agape love. Sacrifice is built into the Christian life because it is how God loved us. He gave his only son that whoever believes in him wouldn't perish but have eternal life. And you have to experience this love if you're gonna give it. There's this thing called the principle of experienced love, which is in order for you to love in a certain way, you have to have experienced it. You have to know what it feels like. You have to receive that love before you can give it. And some of you know this because when you were little kids, your, your parents would love you in just a certain way. And now, as a, now that you're an adult, it's how you give love. Your parents would come in at bedtime and scratch your back before you went to bed. And, and that is love to you. Or your parents would plan special days for you, spend special time with you, take you out on dates. And now that is love for you. You've experienced it. So now as an adult, you can give it. Well, if you are gonna give this unconditional agape love that God calls you to give, you have to experience it from him first. You have to receive that love from God before you give that love. You have to you have to take it into your soul so that you have it to give. And you can receive that love from God by admitting your need for a savior and your sin, believing that Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead, confessing your need for him, dedicating your life to follow him. That is something that that I truly believe every person has to experience if they're gonna give love the way that God calls you to give love. You know, the world uses love to mean a lot of things. The world is very confused on love. But God has brought love to crystal clarity through Jesus. It says in 1 John four nineteen, we love because he first loved us. <laughs> 